If you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to Revelation. Oh, I know. We're going there. <laughs> we're not going where you think we're going. We're going Revelation chapter 2. We're not going too far in. Uh, Revelation chapter 2 will be there. We're going to start there right off. But uh, uh, kids are getting ready to go down and practice uh, for the play. Uh, it's going to be good. They're pretty excited. My kids are just practicing all the time. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, so the next few weeks, we're going to just do a little study on offensive subjects. <laughs> the seven churches of uh, Revelation um, and how not to be those churches. Um, all of them, they start with some sort of Admonition, or you're doing this good, then there's some sort of warning, and there's a way to make that right. So, um, if we find ourselves in any of these situations, any of these things apply to us, then you know we know we need to make it right. Um, you can be seated if you like. Okay, we're not going to read it all right now. We're going to get there. It's going to take her easy tonight. Um, so, the book of Revelation um, is written by John. Uh, the John the Apostle, the disciple, uh, he's in prison. He's banished to this island of Patmos. Patmos? Patmos? I don't know. I can't pronounce anything anymore. Yeah. Um, Patmos it is. And he, he's there, and he has a, a revelation from Jesus while he's there. And, and Jesus shows him the things that, that were, the things that are, and the things that are to come. So the first chapter of Revelation is the things that were. Chapters 2 and 3 are the things that are. And the rest of the book is the... Things which are to come, which everyone loves to get into, but we're going to stay in chapter 2 and 3 of the things that are. So, during in these two chapters, um, he says, I want you to, to say to these, there's seven churches that he's, he's writing these, this part to, um, seven different churches in the area, and he's writing and he tells them that there's problems in each and every one of these churches that need to be addressed. And these are churches, right? These are you know, people that are born again, saved, you know, this is the early church, you know, and these people are... You know, hardcore, right? They've gone through some stuff. They're the ones that are being persecuted and, and thrown to the lions and, and crucified and all, all these crazy things that are going on. This is, these are the people he's writing it to. Um, but every one of these churches, there seems to be some sort of problem that needs to be uh, addressed. Just about all of them, there seems to be some problem that needs to be addressed. And as a church, if we aren't careful, we can fall into every one of these, these traps or whatever, the things that they're doing wrong are things that we can end up being um, doing wrong if we're not careful. And, you know, this was the early church where there was incredible things happening. You know, Paul and Peter and John and all these disciples and apostles and all these, these big guys were here. And they were teaching these guys and they were, they, were, they were ministering to them. They were starting these churches. You know, these are, you know, important guys that, you know. We'd be amazed if Paul came and, and talked to us. You know, it would be awesome. And, but these are the guys, you know, these are the churches that had these, you know, these wonderful teachers. And, and even with all of that, they still fell short. So, I mean, I'm none of these guys. So if you fall short, it's, it's okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, this, this, this couple chapters here serve as a warning. Um, you know, we used to be careful. So... Um, they're written to seven churches, um, seven cities that are mentioned in, in these chapters. They're ro- are, they were located 
in the Roman province of Asia. They were located, like Scooby-Doo here. They were <laughs> located in the Roman province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey now. And so they were arranged in kind of a horseshoe shape. There's, you know, you know what a horseshoe looks like. Roughly 100 miles in, in diameter. So it was just this, this loop, and it was called the, the Great Circle Postal Route. This is the main route that people would travel uh, of this province. And there were more churches in Asia, but these seven, they had strengths and weaknesses, um, typical of other congregations, both in the early church days and modern, modern times. So God specifically wanted them to be mentioned in the book of Revelation to serve as a testimony of us um, still today. So the messages are addressed to the angel of the church. It says the angel of the church is the, the messenger or, or the pastor of the church. And he was to take that message and deliver it to the people of that church. Um, and biblical Bible scholars, there we go, where they see um, a threefold application from these messages. There's a practical, there's specific instructions to these individual churches that John's writing to. Um, there's a prophetical Principles for the church, every age, and um, possible prophecies of, of the church in history. And then there's personal, which was a spiritual application for the individual people in those churches and, and us today. So to all seven of the churches, Jesus says, I know that works. So he knows what's going on. You know, sometimes we think we may have them fooled and we got them you know, tricked and we got, them, we got them all figured out and we can do whatever we want and you know he's fine with it but he, he says I know that works he knows what's going on he knows what we're doing what we're not doing and it's important um, because even though we're not saved by our works we're judged by them and the message is for every individual every church Jesus says he that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith to the churches and and the plural use of the word churches tells us that it wasn't just intended for these seven churches, but for all churches throughout every generation. And words like he and him, they're singular, which means that individuals need to take this personally too. Individuals must be in tune with the Spirit of God. So if the church is going to be right, individuals need to be right because them individuals make up the church. Right? It takes all of us together to make up the church. And if all of us are wrong, then the church is wrong. So we need to make sure that we're right, yes. or the church isn't going to be right. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Pretty straightforward. So only Jesus can see the true condition of a church or individual. He alone is the judge. You know, sometimes it looks like we got it all, um, we're all good, and he sees through that, Amen. as we'll find out right. with the first one. Yes. So only Jesus can see the true condition of a church or individual. He is the judge. So how does God... See you. If everyone in the church was just like me, what kind of church would this be? <laughs> so, moving on. <laughs> the first church we come to is Ephesus. So we'll start Revelation 2, 1 to 7. It says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works... And thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them, which are evil. That sounds pretty good. And thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. Thou hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. This starts off pretty good. Amen. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. 
Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Because this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. All right, so it started off pretty good, ended up pretty rough, then ended up good at the end. The church of Ephesus, they had some pretty good leadership over time. Uh, They even had a book written to them, the Ephesians, as you know. Um, Paul started the church. Timothy was the pastor. Timothy's a good guy. He's got books written to him, too. He's a big deal. Um, John is writing this. He worked there, stayed there for a while. So they've had some pretty pretty good guys come through. They've had some pretty big deals, you know, working in that church. But Jesus is reminding them that, you know, even though you had all these guys, I am in control. I'm the one that's in in control. And sometimes as a church, you know, as an individual local congregation, we can sometimes, um, or even as a a church as a whole, we can take um, for granted people or or ministers or leaders that we have. You know, growing up, um, I don't know if you know these names, but growing up in our home church, you know, we had Brother Goddard, who was you know, a phenomenal teacher. He's been here to camp a couple of times. We had Brother Woodward, who's, I don't even know, like he's up here and everybody else is down here. I don't know, he's just really good. Um, Jack Lehman, who is Brother Woodward's assistant now. Peter Long was a pastor. Tony Mancino, all these other, he's another guy. Um, kind of hides a lot, but he helps a lot of people, helps me a lot already still. And, you know, all these other people, and I used to go to church on Wednesday night, we didn't have um, kids' stuff or anything, and we'd have Bible study, and it was long, and I remember Brother Woodward teaching on the book of Revelation, I would fall asleep whenever I wasn't terrified by the, the pictures on the screen of all these crazy beasts and stuff. I remember, you know, falling asleep, you know, listening to him teach, you know, he's a great teacher now, I'm like, he's like my favorite, and I wish I wouldn't have slept all the time, but, <laughs> and I just always assumed that that's how every church was. Because that was, that was my church, you know. I'm not bragging or anything, because I did anything, I just went. But, you know, there's you know, these incredible you know, teachers and preachers. And then when I was 19 years old, by this time, you know, Brother Woodward had gone on to the Fredericton, and um, Jack Lehman had gone on, and Peter, uh, Peter was still there. Tony had gone on, the, or he was leaving soon. So all these guys kind of, you know, we had this big group, and they had kind of separated and went pastoring other places, and whatever, that's the way it should go. But when I was 19... Um, my pastor resigned and everything kind of changed because up till then I didn't know people did that. Right. You know, we had come into that church and I was in like grade two, so I don't know, seven I guess really is, so I guess I was seven. Until <laughs> like 19 and this is the only real pastor that I had known and sometimes we forget, you know, that these, these pastors and teachers that God gives us are, are gifts from God in Ephesians 4 and 11. It says he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So these are our gifts. You know, God gives us these men of God in our lives. And they can be taken away and they can be moved at any, any time. You know, when, when my pastor, when Pastor Goddard left, I didn't know that that's what pastors did. You know, you guys had people here for a very long time. You know, that's, it's pretty, you know, I didn't know that that's what people did. In other churches, you know, it was going on all the time. But I didn't know that. And I've had him for years. He's the only pastor I really knew, but God moved him to another church who was going through a very rough time, and, and um, he helped them out. It was kind of his ministry to help people that were hurting, and, and this church was hurting over some things that had happened, and 
And he's just recently retired in this church that he went to is now, you know, stronger and better and bigger than ever. And it's, it's a healthy church because, because of the ministry that he had. And God took him and moved him there because, you know, pastors, that's how it works sometimes. You know, God takes and moves and, and it's given to the whole church, right? And so they can be moved. And we, sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that we own this guy or, you know, they, they, they owe us or something or whatever, you know. And when in actuality, God does and he, he moves people wherever he wants. And so... So this church that we're writing, that this letter is written to, it's a strong church. They've got, you know, they had Paul start this church. They've got Timothy. He's a, you know, Paul's protege. He, he knows his stuff. He's, you know, an incredible teacher and, and pastor and preacher and all this stuff. And they had John there. They've got all these incredible men of God that we know, you know, that we know still. Like, this is pretty incredible. And like 2,000 years later, we still know the names of these guys. And they were there. And, um, you know, 2,000 years from now, I don't know if people will remember my name or anything, but... You know, these are big deals. You know, this is the church. It was a strong church that always had good teaching and leadership. And, but they left their first love. You know, you can have the best teaching in the world. You can have the best pastor in the world. You can have the best yeah. teachers come through in the world. But you can still be in danger of losing your first love. Amen. And they call Ephesus in this, they call it the, the careless church. And Ephesus was a capital the Roman province of Asia was a wealthy commerce center. In modern-day Turkey, it was the home of the Temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The church was founded by Paul, Acts, 20, or Acts 19 and 20, first pastor by Timothy. John lived there and wrote his books from there uh, before he went to Patmos and after he was, he was there. And Ephesus means desirable also to let go and relax. So it was a good place. It was the biggest Metropolis in Asia, huge for the time, or as Trump would say, huge. 300,000 people live there, which is pretty you know, huge for that time. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a big city, and this church was so influential that because of them, everyone in Asia heard about Jesus, Acts 19 and 10. It says, and this continued by the space of two years. So that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks, because of this church. You know, it was such a powerful church. That's a big, impactful church. But in Revelations 2 and 1, it says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So if you're going to read anything in Revelation, it's not going to make much sense. Because there's a lot of... Um, imagery, a lot of symbolism. So the stars in this instance, you know, they are they're the pastors, the seven stars in his right hand. God is holding the, the seven pastors of these churches in his hand, and the candlesticks are the, the churches. So he's got, them, he's got them in his hand, and he starts off by reminding these churches that, you know, I have you in my hand. Yes, thank you, Jesus. The pastors, I put them there. Thank you, Jesus. They're in my hand. I have control of this. I am in control. He is in control. And it says he walks amongst the seven golden candlesticks, the churches. He's walking amongst the churches. He's among us now. He's in control, and he's walking among the churches. He's here. Don't forget that, that he is here, and he's walking among the churches. He's in control. Sometimes it feels like he's not, but he is in control. He has them in his hand. And he starts this um, little message off with approval. I think they all kind of go through this approval and then accusation and then how to fix it. So, uh, verse 2, it says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. These are all good things. Yes. Your work, your labor, your works, patience. 
how thou canst not bear them which are evil, also good, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Verse 3, and hast borne and hast patience, for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. This is good. We know that Jesus, you know, he sees all. He's already said that, and he's the one that judges all. He knows our activities. And he sees what we do, and he sees the services we perform, the ministries that we, we partake in. And Ephesus was a serving church. It was a big church. It was a, you know, a lot of Christians in that area, and they were working for God regularly. They were ministering for God, ministering to people, to each other. They were just you know, a solid church and probably filled with people that were always doing things for God. You know, like some of us here tonight, you know, we're always busy doing something for God, you know, practicing music or getting ready for Sunday school or praying or doing all these little things behind the scenes that other people maybe not, maybe don't see, but we're always busy and working for God. You know, it's a good thing to do. And it's not hard to find ourselves busy about the kingdom because there's always stuff to do. There's always needs to be met, both in the church and out of the church. There's always people that need help. There's always prayers that need to be prayed. There's always things to do. And Ephesus was a church that did that. And they were also a church that sacrificed. The word labor that he says, I know thy labor, um, that means toil to the point of exhaustion. This wasn't some half-hearted attempt. It wasn't just, you know, uh, you know there's some jobs that are harder than others. Um, I'm not going to compare any jobs right now in case any of those are yours. But there's some jobs that are harder than others. Some jobs that take more physical activity. By the end of the day, you're just done. You know, some jobs are just Eat your brain. Just suck the life out of you. And you go home and you're like, just done, right? And there's other jobs you just, well, oh, that was fun. That was easy. Yeah. You know, whatever. This isn't one of those. This wasn't a half-hearted attempt. It wasn't just putting time in. It was, these guys worked hard to the point of exhaustion. They, they, they did everything they could. It wasn't half-hearted. They were given everything they had. And it says patience, you know? And... Just like we, we learned in the book of James, you know, patience is endurance um, during a trial. They had been through some stuff. This church, they had been tried, they had been tested. Has anybody been there? They would seen some things. They experienced some stuff. They had heartbreak. They would had trials and tribulations. They would seen people come and people go. They had been through it. This was a church that had, they worked and they had been through stuff. And there was also a church that sacrificed and labored and you know, and the longer you're in this, the more stuff you're going to go through, Amen. right? Amen. The longer a church is in existence, the more stuff you're going to go through. This life happens fast. Life happens often and hard, but we got to keep going. Don't stop. Be faithful and stay in the, in the church. And we know from reading this, you know, that God knows our troubles. He says, I know your works. I know what you've been through. I know that you've You've labored. I know that you've sacrificed. I know that you've, you've endured. I know that you've got patience. I see this. I know this. And he, he knows the suffering that you're going through. And he sees your endurance through that suffering. He sees the patience that's working in you. And he knows it. And he sees. And he's watching. And he's paying attention because he cares. He sees all of these things. And the Ephesian church was a separated people. They were separated unto God. They were a holy people. And they, they carefully examined other ministers. John says here. Other ministers and preachers that came through. They, they tried them. They tested them to make sure what they were saying was right. Because you know, they said, if you preach any other doctrine, let them be accursed. So they made sure of it. They tested everyone that came through. Make sure they were, pre they were preaching and teaching the right thing. Acts 20, 
Verse 28 to 31, Paul warns this church and he says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers and feed the flock, sorry, feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own self shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciple after them, disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone day and night with tears. So Paul warns them in Acts 20, he says, there's going to be false prophets that come, there's going to be wolves or, or false teachers that come, they're trying to lead people astray, I need you to watch, I need you to try these people. Hallelujah. And they did. Mm-hmm. Imagine that, someone doing what they're taught. Hallelujah. Fantastic. It's revolutionary. So they actually did this. Now, Paul said, I, want, I need you to be careful. I need you to watch. And they did it. And we find it in Revelation. They're still doing it. And we warned them about false teachers coming from without and coming from within. And that's something that you need to watch out for. That's something we need to watch out for. That's why it's important for us to read and to study on our own. To know the word, to know Jesus, to know truth. And if we don't, you know, we are susceptible to falsehoods. We are vulnerable to other things. I mean, you can fall easily if we're not careful. And John said to do it too in 1 John 4 and 1. He said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone into the world. So both of these guys have said these things. And this church did it. And the word of God warns us of false prophets and false teachers. You know, Jesus said it would be one of the signs of his second coming. And many epistles include warnings not to be deceived by false doctrine or by false teachers, Matthew 24, 4-5, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take ye that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now this is a big deal. Yeah. We have to know what we believe, or we are, you know, we can fall away easily. And Paul told Timothy, who was their pastor, that there was a time coming when people wouldn't listen to truth anymore. They would only listen to whatever sounded nice, or felt nice, or seemed Nice. Not unlike today. Second Timothy 4, 3-4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall return unto fables. Yes. Oh, so their pastor knew, you know, Paul had told the church personally, he had told their pastor, John, who had been there, wrote his letters from there, he told them, you know, they had heard all this stuff, they had a good teaching. And, and they, were, they were warned and they were on guard and they, they did it. And they, not only did they separate themselves from false doctrine, they separated themselves from false deeds too. In Revelation 2 and 6, it says, But this thou hast that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So they, they did it right. Yes. You know, they had their doctrine right. Yes. They had their deeds right. They were doing the right things. Yes. You know, he says, Thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitan. It means to, to conquer the people. This was a, a sect, a, a group of um, Christians. <laughs> Not real ones. But just a, a split off, a church split, whatever you want to say. And they were people that tried to conquer the people. They lorded it over the people. And um, they, by doing this, they robbed the individuals of the church of their ministry and freedom in, in Jesus. Basically, they say, you know, we're better than you because we're the called ones. We're the anointed ones. We're the, we're the ministers. We're the ones that are chosen. You guys aren't. So you've got to do whatever we say. And they started that thing. 
They started the division that we know today as clergy and, and laity. If you know these words, it means ministers and saints or whatever, you know, the, the, the kind of line that we draw that, you know, I'm not going to do that because that's his job or whatever. Um, and the, the line between preachers and pastors and, and saints in a church, and that's nowhere found in the Bible. You know, we're all the church. Right. You know, we're all, we all have a ministry. We all have um, jobs to do. We all have things you know, that God calls us to. We're all kings and priests, according to 1 Peter 2 and 9. For you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him that calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's not, there's no division there. We're all this. You know, we're all a royal priesthood. We're all priests. We're all kings. Um, Revelation 1 and 6, and I've made us all kings and priests and a God his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So they started this, the Nicolaitans, they started this you know, doctrine that there's a, a line. You know, these, these people are called and you guys aren't. You need to just uh, listen to us. You need to do whatever we say. You, know? you have no job. You have no ministry. You have no purpose, really, just, just to come and listen to how great we are. Um, I thought I saw a bug. It's a sort of thing going on today. You know, there's some people that feel like you need to come to me to confess so that I can bring it to, to Jesus. Because I'm a big deal and you're just here, right? And some people expect pastors and preachers to do everything and they don't want to minister also. That's a problem. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says that. We're all in this together. And that's what the Nicolaitans taught. And it's still something that, you know, has infiltrated the church still. You know, if I'm a pastor and I do everything, single thing in the church, I am no doubt robbing somebody else of a ministry that God's called them to do. And I'm taking their ministry away. And we're all equal. We all have different jobs and different roles to play. No one is better. We all have access to God through the blood of Jesus. Jesus. Hebrews 10 and 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. All right? So this was a doctrine that was going around in those days. Still going around. And the church of Ephesus hated it. They were against it. They were opposed to it. In Revelation 2 and 6 back there. And Jesus says he hates it too. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He hates division. We know that. Yes. Sometimes we still allow ourselves to be divided. This is you and me and we're against each other. We're all working together. All right. We good? All right. So the Ephesian church was also a suffering church. You know, they bore burdens, they worked hard, they toiled without fainting, without giving up, and they did this all for the name of Jesus. And from the outside, this was a perfect church. You looked at this church, this is a good church, this is a solid church. They worked hard, everyone was equal, they treated each other with respect, they, they served God together, they ministered together, they had great pastors, they had great teachers, they had great history, they sacrificed they gave, they were faithful people, they had sound doctrine, solid teaching. Man, that's, wouldn't, who wouldn't want to go to there? Who wouldn't want to be part of that church? But Jesus doesn't just look on the outside, he looks on the inside too. And we can have everything together on the outside and we can look like we're perfect. We got it all down and, you know... We can still be missing something on the outside. So he starts this little letter to them with approval. And he goes through all the things that he loves about them, all the things they're doing right. And, 
And then he moves to an accusation, which everyone loves. So Revelation 2 and 4 says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. In spite of all of this stuff, you do well. In spite of your great teaching and your sound doctrine and how you treat each other with respect and how you give and you sacrifice and you've endured all of this stuff. In spite of all these things that you do well, there's just one thing I have against you. Your heart isn't in this. You've left your first love. And we need to be careful because we can have it all together. We can do everything right, but if your heart isn't in it, it's not good enough. If you don't love Jesus with everything in you, it's not good enough. And this busy, separated, sacrificing church, they suffered from heart trouble. And the rest of your body can be as healthy as can be, but if there's something wrong with your heart, you're not going to make it. There's something wrong with your heart, you're going to be in trouble. We need to guard and protect our heart. The heart is the most important thing. If our heart's not in this, then we're just wasting our time. If our heart is not in love with Jesus more than anything else, then we are wasting our time. We're fooling ourselves. I think I've told you about this before, but I was born with a heart condition. Um, WPW, Wolf Parkinson's White, it's called, named after the people that discovered it, the doctors. Uh, I would have heart issues. My heart would race. Um, well over 150 beats a minute, which is pretty crazy. It would just go up and just, no reason at all, it would just take off. And, and nobody could figure out what was wrong. And the doctors were all hippies that I went to. And they're like, it's just stress because your father passed away or whatever. And they just, just brushed it off. But it, was, it wasn't that. It was something else. They just kind of rushed it off because I was just a kid and whatever. I don't know. But uh, when I was in my 20s, it was still happening, so I was like, I gotta go. It happened at work one day, and I used to be able to control it and get it under um, back to normal, but I couldn't this day, and I was like, I don't know, I've had enough of this, I'll just go to the hospital, maybe they'll figure it out after 15 years of this nonsense. <laughs> so I went, and, and they, you know, they just looked at the graph, and they're like, oh, yep, that's what you got. And I was like, where have you been my whole life? Yeah. <laughs> and this doctor was younger, so he was probably still in school. <laughs> but... Um, basically, you know, your heart, four chambers, you got, basically what he says, I have an extra wire in my heart. So when your heart beats, it just goes, whatever. So there's four different things, and, and mine had a fifth one, so sometimes it would just get stuck on one side kind of thing. So it would beat twice as fast as it was supposed to. So all I needed to do was just a little um, procedure, um, go up through my um, artery in my leg and, and burn my heart. So my heart is scarred. Just for reals. <laughs> so I just burned that little spot in and fixed it and never had to do that again. So that's, but I had this heart problem. And, and so the, the day before the, the procedure, you know, I had to stay overnight in the hospital. And I'm up here and everybody else is in their 70s, 80s, right? Getting triple bypasses and stuff. You know, you know how it is. And <laughs> so they're all there. I'm the, the youngest person on that floor by far. Not the... I was the baldest, but I was the youngest person by far. And the guy in, in the room with me, he's like um, in his 70s. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but he is, he's older than I am, whatever. Uh, he's there for a triple bypass, okay? Um, his surgery got pushed back to the next day, morning. He was supposed to do it you know, that day, and it got pushed back. So his family comes in, 
and then bring him a Baconator from Wendy's. I don't know if you know what this is. This is not a healthy burger. This is a huge, filled like nine pieces of bacon, double patties, like just grease dripping in. The big old fries to go along with it, and he's just, yup. Says so I starts chowing down on that, and the nurse comes in. He's like, "What are you doing? You're gonna be back in here next week if you keep doing this. That's why you're here in the first place. <laughs> you're not taking care of your heart. You gotta take care of it. But what is the point of fixing this if you're gonna keep doing it? His family was like, "Well, we just thought you're fixing it tomorrow, so it's fine." <laughs> Well, this guy was not protecting his heart. And he wasn't going to live much longer if he was going to keep doing that. Right? And we know, like, physically, that's something we know you, you need to do. You don't have a baconator where you're waiting for a triple bypass. You know, that's what got you there in the first place. Settle down. Pump the brakes. Calm down a bit. Right? Man. Well, we need to take care of our heart. Yeah. Nobody else can do that for us. You know, his family brought that, but he made that decision That's right. mm-hmm. yeah. to eat it. He'd be like, hey guys, calm down. Yeah. More than likely, he requested that. Yeah. Right? right. Well, we need to take care of our heart. It's not something we can blame on someone else. It's not someone, you know, we can, you know, say, you know, it's their fault that my heart's like this. You know, it's, my heart is my responsibility. You know, we can't blame it on someone else. If we leave, it's because we made the decision to do so. We can't, we can't blame anybody else. And the church, you know, this church, they did not backslide in their doctrine. They hated the hypocrisy of the, the false prophets and the, the false apostles and the fake teachers. And they endured persecution for the name of Jesus. They went through all this stuff, but they didn't guard their heart. They failed in their love for Jesus. And what we do for Jesus is important but why we do it is just as important. Yes. Matthew 7 and 23 says, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. These were people that worked for Jesus. These were people that cast out devils in your name. I, we've done these incredible things. We prayed for people and things have happened. Hallelujah. He said, I never knew you. Our hearts weren't connected. There was something missing. Sure, you did all these things in my name, but I never knew you. In this church, they did everything, but their heart wasn't connected. There was a problem with their heart. It's not enough just to work for Jesus. It's not enough just to do things and and minister and and help. And, you know, we need to know him, too. We need to be in love with him, too. When love is the missing component, other influences begin, begin gaining control. When love is missing, other things take over. I know this church was intellectual and they, they kept the doctrine, you know, they, they left and they abandoned and walked away from their first love. And what is first love? First love is devotion to Jesus. You see it in, in a new believer. Someone that first comes in, they're excited, they're, you know, they're passionate, they're, you know, it's personal and you can see it on the face, you can see the change and they openly show it. First love, it, it's, it's a honeymoon kind of love. According to, the, you know, if you go back to the Greek, it's a honeymoon kind of love. You know, when you're, you first get with that person and you're giddy and, 
and giggling it all the time, and they're so excited just to be around them, and it's, wow, everything's new and exciting. And Jeremiah talks about this in Jeremiah 2, 1 to 2, in the New Living, it says, And the Lord gave me another message. He said, Go and shout this message to Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says, Remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago, and how you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. You loved me so much, you were willing just to go through the wilderness. You didn't care because you were in love with me. You remember what that was like. But as we get older, our love matures and you know, it should deepen. It should grow more rich. We shouldn't lose that new excitement or wonder of the honeymoon days. I know it's been a long time for some of us. A long time. But there still should be something, right? And when a husband and a wife, they start taking advantage of each other, everything becomes a routine. And then the marriage is in danger when we lose that honeymoon love, first love. I have a friend, Brendan, and he would tell a story about his mom and dad. They were that gross couple that was always (laughs) holding hands in public. You know those ones. (laughs) There's always... Not gross, I'm just kidding. But they were like, um, Brendan's grown up by now, you know, they've been together 20 some years, they've been married a while, and they, they go to a car dealership and they're, you know, looking at cars and they're holding hands and, and, and the, the salesman's like, well, congratulations on your, on your, on your wedding. Because they look like they just got married. Yeah. <laughs> they're acting like they just got married. And they're like, oh, we've been together 25 years. And they're like, okay, sorry. <laughs> But they had that kind of relationship. And he would tell the story. He's so excited and proud of his parents, I guess. And, and then, you know, that's what he was like, I want to be like that, whatever. But, you know, they had that kind of relationship. So people that just saw, you know, they've been married 25 years. And they're like, wow, congratulations. You know, because they just had that. And that's what we need to hold on to, our love for Jesus like that. We can't let go of that. we got to hold on to our first love. And Jesus was addressing this root problem. That would turn into them leaving the doctrine and turn into them leaving all this stuff. Because once love is gone, everything else kind of falls away. It falls apart. And they had everything together right now, but if they didn't fix this problem, if they didn't fall in love with him again, it wouldn't be long before they were allowing false doctrine in. It wouldn't be long before they were no longer enduring, they were no longer sacrificing, they were no longer laboring. It wouldn't be long before they just kind of let it go. It's possible to serve and sacrifice and suffer for Jesus' sake, but not really love him. The Ephesians were so busy being separated from the world and false doctrines that they neglected adoration. Labor is not a substitute for love. Purity is not a substitute for passion. We can get so busy trying to be holy and look holy and live holy and sound holy and appear holy and smell holy. That we miss out on the Holy One. Hallelujah. Verse 3 This church is commended for enduring through persecution because of the name of Jesus. The first four, they are rebuked for leaving their first love. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 12, the new living, he said, Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Yes. Yes. Don't lose your first love. Jesus. So after this accusation comes admonition, what they need to do. So Revelation 2 5 to 7 says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. So repent, 
do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place. Except thou repent. You're going to lose everything unless you repent. But this thou hast, thou hatest the, need, the, the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He's like, this is, you got this going for you. You've been doing this right. But you need to repent. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Okay. See how much longer I have. The failing or the falling that some people experience is not a matter of forgetting a time and place, but of losing the memory of the value of their experience. Jesus gives a way to this church and to us to be restored. You know, see that as we go through these, that with each rebuke, Jesus also gives a way or a chance to repent of the mistake. For every thing that we face, Jesus has a remedy. So we need to remember, we need to repent, we need to repeat. So we need to remember, literally keep on remembering, remember what we've lost. It's stir up the desire, we've talked about this the last little while, stir up the desire to have that closeness, that communion with Jesus again. Remember what it was like when you first came, remember how excited you were, remember that love that you had and you just would give everything and you would worship like nobody was watching and you would just pray because you just wanted to hear his voice you just wanted to be close to him remember and then repent you know change our minds make up our minds confess our sins and turn back to jesus and repeat repeat the first works restore that original relationship do whatever you did at the beginning fix that broken relationship pray more read your bible study meditate on his word Serve, worship, whatever it was that you first did when you came in and you kind of let it go. Repeat that. Do what you did. Remember, repent, and repeat. The answer to getting back your first love is to repent and be renewed with the power of the Holy Ghost. The old timers would call this praying through. Right? That's what's meant by the first works, getting back to that place. That altar and praying through until you're you're there again. And what doesn't mean just to pray through to an experience at an altar, but um, to a refreshing of the Holy Ghost that produces works through you again. I'm not just praying through and crying and going home and doing the same thing. Praying through to you're changed again. In spite of all the privileges that they had, all the good pastors they had, all the good teaching they had, this church was in danger of losing. Their light. He said, I'm going to take this candlestick away unless you repent. Unless you fix this problem, this is going to be gone. And we can have the best teachers and preachers, the most talent, the, the soundest doctrine we can look holy, sound holy, all that stuff, and still miss out. And still leave our first love and lose our light. The church who loses its love will lose its light, no matter how much we know doctrinally. Notice that Jesus did not say he would move the light from Ephesus, just the organization that held the light, the, the, the lampstand he would remove. He's going to remove that church. But his light's never going to go out. You're going to be in danger of losing it. His light's not going anywhere, but we can be in danger of losing it. You can't put out the light of Jesus, but you can lose it. And God's truth has been witnessed throughout the ages, and his light is shown upon and through you know, people through all 
different organizations all across history. And God will have a true church that will shine as lights in the darkness, and we have to remain true to the doctrine, but also to our first love. Ephesus was called a, a careless church. It was made up of careless believers who neglected their love for Jesus. And our love for him should be front and center. Everything should be based on that. Everything should be done through that. Yes. He said, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Yes. Hearing doesn't just mean listening. It means that we should hear, take it in, yes. translate that yes. to action. All right. What can we learn from the church of Ephesus? Avoid abandoning our first love. Practice loving God and hating evil. Endure until the end. Yes. Eternal life awaits you. There, let's see. I know that was a bit rough there. Let's just, let's just pray together.